You have to own your journey. You have to own your body. You have to own your training, the choices you make, and own your why. And if you can focus on what got you there in the first place, you deserve to be there. Today's guest is Katie Rainsberger, a professional middle distance runner for New Balance and Team Boss. Katie graduated from the University of Washington in 2021 with 13 All-American cross-country and track titles, as well as the school record in the steeplechase. After graduating last spring, Katie kicked off her professional career by qualifying for the final in the U.S. Olympic trials of steeplechase. In this episode, Katie shares her mantra of persistent consistency and explains how it has helped her learn that progress is not linear. All of us athletes have good days and bad days. Both are an important part of getting better. Katie emphasizes the importance of enjoying what you're doing, even on the harder days, and how embracing this has helped her be both persistent and consistent. Katie also shares with us her journey with body image as a Division I runner for two very competitive universities. She gives us her advice on how to stay true to your own body when transitioning to college. I love Katie's story because it's a story of learning to love the sport and being in it for the long run through persistent consistency. Welcome to the Voice in Sport podcast, Katie. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about everything today. Well, in this episode, we're going to go deep on some areas that you're really passionate about, body image being one of them, enjoying the process, and really being okay with your own journey. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, and I want to start with you growing up in sports. What sports did you play? How did you eventually determine running was your sport? So my parents threw me into everything. I tried everything under the sun. I played soccer, basketball, volleyball, football at recess, because that was what the boys were doing. And my parents, they wanted me to try something new every every season with school. So like if the school was offering handball, then I would do that. And I think they just wanted me to stay busy and to stay active. And so I grew up quite athletic. My dad always jokes that I was the son he always wanted, and I have two brothers. So I grew up playing basically all day from sunup to sundown. But my true passion was soccer early on. And I played soccer at a pretty high competitive level all the way through my junior year of high school. But I didn't start running until the end of middle school. Well, you also had an incredible role model growing up. Your mom actually is a Boston Marathon winner, which is incredible. So did she have an influence on you starting to get into running in middle school and eventually deciding that running was going to be your sport? I think initially she didn't have too much of an influence. She even jokes that like she didn't want me to run because she knew what it took to be a high level runner. But when I got to junior high or middle school, they didn't offer soccer in the fall. And that was what I really wanted to do. So I ended up still playing club soccer, but I joined the middle school cross country team as kind of a way to stay in shape for soccer. And it just seemed like something fun to do. And I'd been around my mom enough to know that running was something that she did and it was like, how hard could it be? I'd done St. Patrick's Day 5Ks and things growing up. And so I ran cross country in seventh and eighth grade. I ran track in the spring because I ended up really liking it. And I loved doing the relays and the four by four. But then my, in eighth grade, I ended up running, I think like 505. And I was like, oh, like, that's pretty good. I should run in high school. But at that point, I still was 
kind of focusing on soccer. I was traveling every weekend for tournaments and that was still my focus. And so I ended up going to high school and they were amazing. They let me play club soccer, run cross country, indoor soccer in the winter, swimming in the winter, and then track in the outdoor season plus school soccer. So I was doing probably two sports all year round. And I was loving it. Just one practice to the next. And at the end of my sophomore year, I ended up going to Brooks PR and running, I think like 440 as a sophomore. And I was like, wow, like I could go to school for this. And at the end of your sophomore year, that's kind of when you're getting recruited for soccer, when you're starting to make decisions about maybe where you want to go to school for soccer. And so like the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I had to sit down and really think about what I wanted to do because I had all this potential and running that I kind of felt was untapped, but I had my soccer team and I loved that team atmosphere and I'd been playing my whole life. And that's kind of where my mom's influence came in, I think a little bit, is seeing just the journey and the love she had for the sport and wanting to have a small piece of that myself. And so junior year, decided to focus on running and I haven't looked back. Wow, it's so incredible. I love hearing stories like that because you don't have to be this child prodigy that decides that they're going to be an Olympian in something when you're like 10. You can start your sports so much later or switch. You did so many incredibly diverse sports growing up. And now you're on one of the best running teams in the world. So I just love that. I think it's so inspiring. Thanks. I just think it goes to show you can be a multi-sport athlete and you can have fun growing up and focus on enjoying it and doing lots of different things. And you can still end up where you want to be later in life. So you said that at one point your mom said it takes a lot to be a high level runner. So what does it take to be a high-level runner? Oh, that's a loaded question. It is hard to put into words the amount of, I like to say, persistent consistence. Sometimes it's not very glamorous, and there's days where you don't want to get out the door, um, days where you're tired, and it's hard to put one foot in front of the other. But I would say that there's a lot of behind the scenes. There's the pre and the post stretching and mobility and the weight room, the nutrition, getting enough sleep, and how do you recover between doubles? And so a lot of the day-to-day minutiae is, I would say, for me, what's the most difficult part, because I love running. I love going out the door and going for my run. That's the best part of my day. I have no issue with that. I think that there's just a lot of kind of like behind the scenes. My mom always says that greatness is a series of small things done well. And there's a lot of small things that go into it. So I think that's probably the hardest part. I love that. So I want to jump into that phrase that you love, persistent consistence a little bit. I want you to break it for me because, I mean, you clearly had an incredible collegiate career as a 13-time All-American in cross country and track. And we're going to talk about your transition from high school to college, but Let's unpack this phrase. How did you come up with this idea of using persistent consistence as a mantra and how has it helped you appreciate your journey? Yeah, I think that by practicing persistent consistence, you're owning that progress isn't linear, that you're going to have good days, bad days, good seasons, bad seasons. And throughout it all, you have to enjoy what you're doing on a daily basis because there are going to be days where you don't want to go out the door. 
And there are going to be days where you're thrilled about running and you've had like a great day and a bad day. And I think throughout it all, you just have to know that things don't happen just like this. It happens over time and slowly. And sometimes you don't see the progress that you want to see right away. And so if you're persistent about it and you keep showing up on a day-to-day basis, then you can be consistent. And if you're consistent, then you're going to see progress over time. And so if you're persistent and you're consistent, you'll see progress over time and you own and you know that it's not going to just happen overnight. And I think that by fully living that, then I can approach each day to day more presently and I can be where I am today. I can own where I'm at today. And that just makes it just seem more doable because I know where I'm at right now and I have these big, scary goals that seem so far away, right? Like they're just so scary sometimes to think about that it's like, how on earth am I going to go from here to there? And I think that for me, practicing persistent consistency is a way that I feel confident about achieving those goals. I love that. It's so hard sometimes to enjoy the process, I find, especially when you're results oriented and you're like, all right, I want to accomplish this and I want to get that goal. And what advice right. would you have for girls to to learn how to enjoy the process? It's easier said than done. Oh, for sure. I mean, you see it everywhere, like enjoy the process. And it's like, what does that mean? You're like, I'm trying. I'm trying, but I have, it's so hard because everyone's like, you should set process oriented goals. I totally agree. But in a sport like running, it's so hard because you have times that you want to run. You have people that you want to beat. There's all these numbers everywhere. It's cut and dry. You either beat the person or you don't beat the person. You either run the time or you don't run the time. So how on earth am I supposed to set process oriented goals when there's so many outcomes involved? And it's hard. And it's something that I still struggle with. And it's something that I have to acknowledge that I struggle with and sit with that a little bit. So I talk to a sports psychologist about it. I try and set process-oriented goals. And I know that if I achieve my process-oriented goals, I'll have the best chance of also achieving my outcome-oriented goals. So if I execute on like running hard on lap three or having good form late in the race or being consistent in the way that I approach my training, then that gives me the best chance of achieving my outcome-oriented goals. But honestly, the biggest part about the process for me is loving what I'm doing in the moment. My run this morning was the best part of my day. I love that grind. We were out there and it was a suffer fest for lack of a better term. Like you're just out there grinding and Part of me lives for that grind, that process, like I'm not sure if you can finish kind of thing. And uh, so for me, that's that process part, enjoying the process, knowing that I was a little better today than I was yesterday. And just, it's okay to struggle with things like that. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't have to totally be process oriented all the time because our sport, like running there, <laughs> it's hard and knowing that it's hard and being okay with maybe not being perfect at it all the time. And I think this also has been really helpful for me. So what's your favorite process-oriented goal that you use your go-to? Yeah, so I use focus on your feet quite often. And that really brings me to what I'm doing in the moment. So if I'm running a 5K on the track and we're lap six or seven, 
And I'm like, oh, I have a long ways to go still. Those thoughts start coming in, right? Like, I'm tired. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Or I find that I use a grounding process oriented thing where I literally try and feel my feet hit the ground. I'll feel the impact of my feet on the ground. And I'll do this shoulders back thing. So my posture. So I kind of get here when I'm tired. So if I can focus on my feet and I can bring my shoulders back, then it presently brings me back to what I'm doing. And I find that that grounding, bringing me back to being present, helps me get through the hard stages of a race. And for me, that's a process-oriented goal because it's a lot harder to do than it is to say. So if I can achieve some process, if I can focus on my feet and bring my shoulders back in lap seven, then that was something process-oriented that I achieved. And you can get a little momentum from that. You know what I mean? Like if you're setting process-oriented goals throughout a race, then you're building momentum every time you achieve one of those process-oriented goals. And I find that my process-oriented goals have to be entirely within my control, which is attitude and effort. That's basically all I have control over in a race. I don't have control over what she's doing or the weather or what's going on outside of my own attitude and my effort. So if you can set some process or into goals that are entirely within your control, then I find it's really easy to build momentum. Oh, such good advice and a great transition into how you built momentum from your high school career, which was very successful in running to going to the University of Oregon to pursue running. And this is one of the most elite distance running programs in the country. So tell us about your experience of choosing University of Oregon and the pressure that you felt coming into that team as a freshman. Yeah, so I experienced a good amount of success my last year of high school, won a few national championships, set a national record and committed to Oregon, which is this running Mecca. And I was just on this hot streak. And I like came into University of Oregon, kind of like I had my mojo. I was like, all right, let's go. And so the first half of the year, it's hard because we won three national championships my freshman year. We won cross country in the fall, indoor in the winter, and then outdoor in the spring. And it was the first time a women's program in history has won the triple crown. So there was pressure. Especially come that outdoor season when we knew that we could do something special, we could be the first program ever to win all three in one year. And I was a freshman and I needed to put points on the board to do that. If we wanted to win, every point matters. You have to make the final you have to score. And for me, though, we had this energy that was just so contagious, this momentum. We knew we were going to achieve it. There wasn't any other option. So it was an incredible first year. And I would say that during that first year, because we were so focused on achieving these outcome-oriented goals, I feel like I skipped some of those process-oriented steps. And I got a little bit more concerned with my body image than I ever had in the past. And I would say that I wasn't enjoying the day-to-day because I was so focused on the outcome. And some of those process-oriented goals that we just talked about, I wasn't focusing on those. I was just focusing on the end result. And I kind of got lucky, to be honest. I was talented enough to score and do well. And that's not to say I didn't work hard, but I wasn't focusing on things that were going to set me up for long-term success. 
And I think that showed because my sophomore year, I got hurt and I really struggled with my identity and who I was outside of the sport with my body image because you get hurt and your body changes and you go through puberty and your body changes. And it's the first time I've been in an environment with all female runners who are of like ability and mindset. In high school, I ran with the boys every day and I had a milkshake every night. And I thought nothing of it. I was blissfully ignorant. I had Chipotle burritos between running and soccer. I don't know how I didn't throw that up, but I ate the whole burrito somehow. And then I would go home and my dad would ask what flavor of milkshake I wanted for the evening. And that was just normal. That was just what I did. I just didn't think anything of it. And so then to go from that to being in an environment where people are focused on their body image, you're eating dinner with all of these people every night. And I went from having a huge plate of spaghetti with five meatballs and a slice of bread to half my plate is now a salad and half my plate is now pasta. And I have three meatballs because that's what the girl on my right is doing. That's what I should be doing. And it was just, those were things that were happening my freshman year, but they were kind of getting swept under the rug because we were having so much success. You know, we were running fast, we were winning races, uh, we were building momentum. And so on the surface, it looked great, but I was building bad habits and I wasn't addressing things that I should have been addressing. And I wasn't getting my period anymore. And I wasn't, you know, working on those things. And so it kind of all came to head my sophomore year when I got injured and I didn't run for five months and I had a lot of time to think about those things. Wow. I think what you just described is pretty incredible because we know that this is such a big problem right now. According to the National Institute of Women, 78% of American girls that are 17 years old are unhappy with their bodies. So, you know, but in your case, you were 17 in high school, you had zero thought about your body image, which is great in the sense of you don't want to be in that space of comparison and feeling bad about your body. But then you went to a new environment with a whole new group of people and things started to change for you. So that first year, though, like you said, you guys were having so much success in your performance that your body seemed like it was fine. I want to unpack a little bit. When did you start to realize that your period was no longer the same? Was it a gradual thing or did it one day you woke up and you're like, oh, I haven't had it for three months. So how did you work through the loss of your period? And did you ask for help during that first year? Yeah. So I lost my period the summer going into my freshman year of college. And I think at that point, I was lean. I just had a really long track season, and I didn't take any downtime between track season my senior year and getting ready for cross country my freshman year at Oregon. So the combination of high-intensity training and being a little bit maybe on the leaner side, I think is probably when I stopped getting my period. And I didn't really notice it, that it was like not coming back until about five or six months later, till I came home for Christmas. And I was like, hey, I haven't gotten it in a while. And to be honest, the responses that I got were, hey, you're training pretty hard. It's normal to lose it when you're competing. 
like it's the end of the competition season. You're at your lean body weight. It'll come back when you take your break. When you take your break after cross country season, it'll come back. So I go home for Christmas and it doesn't come back. And I run all of indoor season and it doesn't come back and I'm getting leaner by the day. And it's not something that's being talked about. It's this huge kind of taboo. You don't talk about your periods and you don't talk about body image or how lean you're getting, especially when you're running well. Because I don't know if it's just something that's happening in our sport, but I think that the end of my freshman year, I came home and I was like, it's been a year. I haven't gotten in. It's been a year. So we went to a physician, a female physician, and and she's like, oh, you're an athlete. It's normal for you to lose it when your training is high. And so I was told that it was normal to lose it because I'm a like tall, lean female athlete. It's normal to lose it when you're training hard. And I was told that by a physician. So from then on, I was like, well, I'm fine. I hope the girls that are listening to this podcast know it is not normal and it is not okay. It's not okay. And the reason that I'm sharing this is because I wish someone had told me that it wasn't normal. And I wish someone had sat me down and said, Katie, you're too lean and you need to get your period. Even when you're training hard, you need to get your period. I didn't have anyone to sit me down and talk me through these things. And so the winter of my sophomore season, I tore my Achilles and I had a stress fracture in my talus. And I'd never been hurt before in my entire life. And all of a sudden I had the biggest injury of my career. And it still took another like five months after that injury for my period to come back. Wow. And so looking back on that experience now, which I think is pretty common, unfortunately, what advice would you give to girls today that are heading into their first few years at college? Right. I would say, for lack of a better phrase, stay in your lane. You have to own your journey. You have to own your body. You have to own your training, the choices you make, and own your why. And if you can focus on what got you there in the first place, you deserve to be there you were recruited and you are going to this new school or you're at this program because you deserve to be there. And what got you there in the first place is why you're there. You don't have to change what you're doing because you're in this new environment. And I don't think you should look left and right. I think you should stay straight ahead. And you have to eat to fuel to train. It's not the other way around. Now I eat to fuel my training. I have enough food so that I can train harder. I eat more than I did in high school and I did in my first few years in college because I run really hard and I want to run really hard and I need to have enough nutrients and enough energy to get me there. Like for me, fueling and eating right now is so that I can run as much as I do. And it's not this whole big body image idea anymore because now I understand that I'm fueling so that my body can do this amazing thing every day. That's right. And everybody's body's different, right? And everybody does need to fuel differently. And so you really do need to own your decisions. And it's so hard, though, I feel like when you get into that environment where it's super competitive and you don't totally know everybody yet, what would you say to a girl who is in it right now and they're struggling with all these decisions and they're mostly struggling with their body image? 
what would you say to those girls out there today that might be struggling with their own body because they are looking left and right and comparing, well, oh, well, that that runner looks like this and look at her times. Yeah, I would say focus on how you feel, not how you look. Don't pick yourself apart in the mirror. Like everyone's guilty of it, right? But focus on how you feel. And for me, that's really important because if I'm training well, then I'm feeling good and I'm fueling well. And I think that it is hard to be surrounded by people doing other things. It's always going to be hard. It's hard for me even now. And and I'm saying all this to you now and I still struggle with it every day. And I think that knowing that you're not alone and that there are other people struggling too, you could be looking at the girl to the right and saying like, wow, I wish I ate and ran like her. And she could be looking at you and she could be saying, wow, I wish I ate and ran like her. You have no idea, right? And if you just focus on what you need to do to be the best version of yourself and you focus on how you feel, then you just have to take it day by day. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. That's okay. Thank you for listening to the Voice and Sport podcast. My name is Zasha Bolhawk, and I am the producer of this Voice and Sport podcast episode. I run track and cross country at the University of Houston. I love working with Voice and Sport in order to empower young girls and women in sports, and I would love it if you would join us in trying to make a change. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Voice and Sport for more amazing content. You can also sign up for free and join our community of female athletes at voiceandsport.com for mentorship, sports content, and inspiration. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Well, let's talk about how you turned it around and you recovered. You have seen a sports Mm -hmm. psychologist and the importance of fueling. So you've hit two of the really important ones already. But what advice would you give to girls that are, they're trying to recover or shift out of some bad habits, whether it's body image or confidence or on the edge of a disordered eating pattern, What advice would you give them to create a support system to recover and to truly shift where they're currently at? Yeah, that's hard because I think that everyone's journey is unique. But for me personally, I found that seeking help outside of sport was really um, just beneficial for my overall health and well-being. I started seeing a sports psychologist. I made some friends outside of my cross country and track and field team. And just being around even different sports, I think you realize that sometimes the cross country team can be kind of small. And so the track team can be kind of small. So I found friends and support groups outside of my everyday training group. And I started speaking with just a sports psychologist and I started throwing little things into even my team discussion about body image, trying to see if, hey, like, am I alone in the thoughts that I'm having? And I found that most of the people that I was training with, competing with, were having similar thoughts. And so I found that trying to slowly be more open and more vulnerable with the people around me, and that's way harder said than done, but having the discussions about these things with other people in my circle made me realize I wasn't alone, that I wasn't the only one having these thoughts. And for some reason, that was a sense of comfort for me. I love that. I mean, that is really at the center of why we built the Voice and Sport platform is so that girls have a safe place 
to speak about these type of topics and have conversations. And sometimes there's so much value in having conversations with your peers. And other times you need to seek somebody completely outside your circle, like a sports psychologist or nutritionist that maybe doesn't see you every day. And so I think it is really important to do both. Yeah. And I think that the person that you seek outside of the sport, for me, it helps because they have no stake in the game. They don't Mm -hmm. care how you perform. They don't care what times you run or what place you are. They want like the you to be happy. And I think that having someone that's so unbiased in your sport and performance area really helps me focus on recovering and having a healthier attitude towards body image and fueling. Amazing. Okay. So you had a super successful freshman year. Your body started to unfortunately go in not the best direction but then you pulled it back around after your injury and you ended up transitioning from University of Oregon to University of Washington following your coaches. I want to talk a little bit about transitions because often girls think they make a decision to go one place and it's like to the death of them if they try to go somewhere else. (laughs) So can you share with us a little bit about your experience with transitioning to another school in the middle of your college career and how to stay true to yourself when you're dealing with those big changes. Right. I mean, I didn't go to Oregon and think that I was ever going to leave, but the distance coaches at Oregon, they took the head job at University of Washington. And for me, during that period, my sophomore year, my coach at the time, Marisa Powell, reached out to me every day and asked how I was doing. It wasn't so much like, hey, what did you do for your cross training today? Like, we'll have you back on the ground running in eight weeks. It was like, hey, how are you doing? Like, are you okay? And I was like, wow, she genuinely cares about who I am as a person and how I'm doing as a human being. And I'm not just points on the board right now. And so that relationship that I built with Coach Powell was the reason that I left because I didn't think that I was going to find it with anyone else. And to be honest, I didn't even want to try because I knew I had it. I was like, I have a relationship with a coach. I trust her. I respect her. She respects me. She sees me as more than just points on the board. She wants my long-term health. It was important to her. And So I think that I had a pretty unique situation with my transition is because I had full trust in the coach. And so it wasn't so much of if I should go, it was like, how can I make this happen? (laughs) Um, But I think that transition, like you said, is you feel like a freshman all over again. You start to find your groove and you think that you know what you're doing. And then all of a sudden you're uprooted and it's all new faces, a whole new environment. And it can be a bit daunting for sure. But I think for me, because I was struggling my sophomore year after my injury and with my body image, because it was changing, having a whole new environment to come to terms with who I wanted to be, the athlete that I knew I could be and wanted to be was very freeing. So I think that my transition was actually super helpful. So what if you're a girl that is in maybe a different decision where they're out of school and maybe they notice that the coach is part of the problem and they're like, hey, how do I get out of here? I need to transition to another school. What advice would you give those girls? Like at the end of the day, you made the transition because of the coach and it was in a positive way. But for reverse situation where maybe you recognize that you're part of a team that doesn't have a great culture or that the current environment isn't working for you, can you still transition to another school and be successful in the sport of running? Yeah, I totally think that you can transition and 
find a better environment for you. I think that maybe the previous environment that you're in might work for some people and maybe it doesn't work for you and that's okay. Not every environment is going to be perfect for every individual and it takes sticking your nose in it a little bit maybe to see and find out. And I think that there's no harm in trying, right? So I would say, don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. You have to do what's best for you. At the end of the day, you're the one living your life and you have to do what's best for you. Don't feel guilty about leaving. Don't feel you know, ashamed that it didn't work out. You tried and you failed and you'll try again. I think that you just have to keep sticking your nose in it. Keep showing up. There will be a program that's right for you. I think right now there's something called the portal and be honest. I would say that if you want to transition and be somewhere else, be honest with your current situation, be honest with your current coaches, leave with dignity, go to them and say, this isn't working for me. And I would like your help finding a situation that does work for me. I have a feeling that more times than not, they're going to be more than happy to help you figure out like what's best for you. So just all you can do is try. Love it. No matter what, don't suffer in silence. I think that's one of the biggest things where I'm constantly trying to encourage and inspire girls. Speak up, ask for help. If you're suffering and you don't feel good, there's a reason behind that. So don't stay in that situation. Um, Well, you certainly had a lot of success in sport during these years in college, but you also had a ton of success on the academic side. So I want to talk a little bit about just how did you balance that? Because this is an area that a lot of female athletes, I think, are consistently just balancing school, being a division one athlete. How did you make 10 all academic, all American teams throughout this process? (laughs) What are your secrets that you can pass on to the girls that are still in it? Yeah, I was super efficient with my time management. And so I found that I was more productive earlier in the day than late in the day. And that's just when I was the most productive. Like after 8 p.m., I'm not getting much done. So how can I prioritize the things that I need to prioritize? And I use a daily planner, still do. Like I have a written daily planner. I know it's super old fashioned, but I love checking boxes So I write down things that are the most important for the week and I try and set realistic expectations. It's okay if you forget an assignment. It's not the end of the world. It's okay if you get a B on something. Everybody has their own academic goals, the same as you have your own athletic goals and find what works for you. I loved school, which is so funny, but I'm actually currently going to grad school because I couldn't not go. I love the academic side of things. I love the intellectual challenge. It's similar to academic. I like setting goals. I like working hard. I like challenging myself. And it helps remind me that I'm more than just a runner because I have all these intellectual and academic career and life interests. And so for me, I went to practice in the morning and I put all that I had into practice in the morning. And then I got to go to school and I got to leave running at the track and I got to come home or go to school and do that. And so for me, it was also a way to healthily balance running and life, knowing that there's more to life outside of your sport, that you are bigger than your sport and you have more to you than just your running and or athletic goals. And so for me, I really liked school. 
Well, and sometimes you get thrown into these moments, like when you're injured, where then all of a sudden part of your identity that's sport is on the bench. And you're sitting there like, oh, wait a second, what else do I love? Who am I? And so what advice do you have for girls to be holistically thinking about their life while they're in sport, but but they're not injured? How do you find that healthy balance of making sure your sport doesn't become the only thing that defines you? That's so hard, right? I think we all struggle with that because you put so much of yourself into your sport. You work so hard at it day to day. How can you not care about it all so much? And so when I first got hurt, it was this whole identity crisis. Who am I outside of running? What do I like to do outside of running? Who are my friends outside of running? And I'm sad that it took getting hurt for me to have all these questions And I think that, so then the second time I got hurt, I was like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go volunteer at the lab. I have more hours in the day now. So I'm going to go work at the lab and I have some friends that I'm going to go do studies with. So I found that going to study groups with people outside of sport was kind of a way to dip my toe in the water. And then from there, building relationships outside of athletics was really important for me. There's a lot of opportunities on campus. And it's hard because when you're going to practice every day, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't have time to do X. But I'm sure if you're in the business school or if you're more biology, you can do something for an hour or two once a week. And it's so meaningful because it helps like ground you outside of your sport. And so for me, I volunteered in the lab once a week for one to two hours. And if you think about how much time you spend maybe watching Netflix or scrolling through your phone on Instagram, does one hour a week really seem like it's not that manageable? I don't know. Check your screen time because (laughs) I think that if you want to make it happen, you can make it happen. There are so many opportunities out there and all you have to do is take the initiative. I love that. It's so important. That's a good exercise, I think, for anybody to do. Just look at the last week. Go to your phone, look at the last week and look to see how much time you spent on your phone and then say, oh, that's X hours. What could I have done with X hours? And that's an interesting exercise. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not like I'm saying spend all of the time that you were spending on your phone. It's like if you're spending four hours or five hours on your phone every day, that times seven days a week, you can find one hour to go do an activity outside of your sport. You know what I mean? Like it's just a matter Mm -hmm. of being good with your time management skills and prioritizing and actually putting in the groundwork and reaching out and taking initiative. That's great advice. Well, your senior year, you did another transition. You switched from the 1500 meter to steeple and you finished second at the Pac-12 championships in May while simultaneously breaking a school record and posting the fourth fastest time in Pac-12 history. So pretty amazing transition there. What made you shift at that point your senior year into a totally different event? Yes. So super funny, right? If you had told me as a fifth year senior that I'd be trying a new event, okay, like (laughs) that doesn't happen every day. But I was always pretty athletic. And in the weight room, I'm pretty strong. And I'm also pretty tall. So the year before we were actually going to try the steeple, but COVID happened, right? And so nobody's racing, nobody's training, there's no access to barriers, no access to hurdles. So 
it got put off and I forgot about it. And then the week before my first steeple, they're like, hey, at Stanford this week, let's just go out and give it a try. My coach is like, if you hate it, you never have to do it again. And if you love it, then great. But there's no harm in trying, right? And I think that if anything that the past year and a half has shown us, life is short. Don't be afraid to take risks. Seize the opportunities that we're given. How grateful did I spend the last year just like grateful that I was able to compete, right? Let alone try a whole new event. So I went into it and I had no expectations. I didn't know how it was going to feel. I didn't know how fast I was going to run. I didn't know what the splits meant. Usually in a mile or a 5K, you like hear a split and you're like, oh, okay. Like I'm running this fast. In a steeple, no clue. Literally I'm running blind out there. And my first one, I just went into it. And I found this rhythm and I found that I loved the technical aspect. I loved that I had to pick my head up and find the next barrier, like attack the barrier. And it gave me something to think about outside of how much this hurts, like the pain. It was, I physically have to get it over this barrier. And so I have to find a way to make this happen. I have to focus on a technical aspect, which I hadn't had to think about before. And I loved the challenge and the excitement of it. So I just kind of dug it and ran with it. I wonder if the soccer from your early years made you good at it because you were obviously pretty good because you then qualified for the finals in the U.S. Olympic trials in the steeplechase. And then you finished 10th in the finals. So how many months apart was when you first tried this new event to when you finished 10th in the finals? It was 10 weeks. 10 weeks? That is crazy. From April to June. I tried it in April and I ran the final in June. And I I didn't think about any of it at the time. I was just focused on outmanaging the people around me and enjoying it and being grateful for the opportunity to compete and like giving my best on the day. I can't explain it, how it happened. It just felt right. To continue listening to this episode, please go to voiceandsport.com and sign up for free and join our community. Katie goes on to talk about her tips about being a successful collegiate and professional athlete, how to discover joy in your sport, as well as what she thinks about the race weight and having a healthy relationship with the scale. Head to Minute 42 when you sign up and get started at voiceandsport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Zosha Bullhawk, a track and cross-country athlete from the University of Houston so thankful that Katie shared her knowledge with us today and you won't want to miss the ending. You can follow Katie on Instagram at katierains underscore 17. And please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. And if you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join Voice and Sport, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top experts in sports psychology and nutrition. You might also want to check out other episodes featuring pro athlete and registered dietitian Maddie Alm in episode number 42, Demystifying Female Athlete Nutrition. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.